Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And it's officially Halloween. It's not Halloween. It is. Every day after July 4th is Halloween. I learned that on the internet this week, and I abide by that. That is my new philosophy in life. It is now Halloween. Happy Halloween. Give me my pumpkin head ale. Sorry, I had to yawn. <laughs> because it's not Halloween and you're boring me with your Halloween talk. Just kidding. I'm fine with Halloween, but it's also hot outside, so it doesn't feel anything like it would be Halloween. So well, I think Oklahoma- I disagree. In Oklahoma, it's hot until like Christmas Eve. I mean, kind of, but not really. It starts to cool off at the end of September. Ish. Well, today is like 85 degrees, therefore, happy Halloween, everybody. Welcome to the Malt House it, Games podcast. Oh, it may, be, it may be feel like 80, it may be 85, but it felt hotter, and my car said 103 when I got in it after work. Your car lied. So it's very hot outside. But anyway, yes, welcome to the Malt House Games podcast, a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, tabletop games, and things of that sort, as well as beer. And today we have a beer from our old friends at Frenzy Brewing Co. here in Edmond, America. We have El Coyote. That beer is really prone to foam. Catch it, catch it, catch it. That's a party foul pour. This beer, we were told by Matt, uh, who is one of the owners and I believe the head brewer of Frenzy, that this beer has a tendency to foam quite a bit in this batch. And it is a beautiful foam. It looks just like calf slobber again. Luckily, I caught it before it spilled. The can started to foam and I grabbed a glass and I only dripped a little bit onto my leg. We didn't ruin anything, so that's nice. Zero rugs were harmed in the making of this podcast episode. Only my hand is going to be sticky. It's always sticky. Baseline. Just a little. And so this beer is a very, very, very crisp golden yellow. The head has disappeared very quickly, but it's still foamy as can be. And it smells delightful because this beer is a little bit special. It is a cerveza style, but it also is brewed with... Hatch chilies? I do believe so. Uh, feel that? That's the crisp coolness of a cerveza crafted with a hint of hatch chilies and wild Mexican oregano. Best sipped with a squeeze of lime beside a wood fire. As always, drink responsibly and in good company. And so El Coyote is actually a restaurant down in Oklahoma City. And this beer was created with, with a partnership with Frenzy. And so it's only available at Frenzy itself and at the restaurant El Coyote. And so I've never been to El Coyote, but I have been to Frenzy. We love their beers. We've actually had this beer a couple of times before. And I'm looking forward to having it again because it's got a little bit of kick to it, and I enjoy that. It's a very good beer. It is a 12-fluid-ounce can. I'm trying to find the alcohol percentage, uh, and I actually don't think that it's listed. Yeah, I don't think that's listed on the can, so I'm not sure the alcohol content. I'm guessing that it's like a five, five and a half. The alcohol content is yes. It's there. We don't know what it is. But it is that yellow. You can see a little through it, but not that much. A little tiny, tiny bit of haze. You can smell the hatch green chilies as well. It's not like the spicy smell. It's a very sweet hatch green chili smell. Correct. And even in the flavor, you get the the body of the chili. You can tell they use real hatch chilies. Mm -hmm. You get the body of it, but there's no heat. Because I personally do not like spicy drinks. I can't stand that for some reason. It's just like... It goes against my grain somehow. But this one doesn't have any spice to it. You just get that nice flavor. It's like you're eating a fresh jalapeno that's not very spicy. Sort of, yeah. But yes, this is a really good beer. If you like a a crisp summer uh, cerveza, which is a Mexican-style beer. Also, Haley, look how clear your glass is versus mine. Oh, man. We definitely had a... I should have, like... Should have tilted the glass a little bit. Tipped the can upside down for a second, let it kind of spread out a bit. I wonder if it was all the carbonation just left yours and it's still in my side or something i think that's what it kind of looks like because 
We've had this before, like we said, and it's always been very crisp and clear and also very delicious. 10 out of 10 stars. It's a very good beer. If you like a cerveza, which I don't know many people that don't during the summer, it's really nice having that little bit of chili and it's just a solid beer. So what have we been up to this week, Delty Poo? So since we recorded last, which has not been that long ago. It's been four days. It's been four days. We got to get this done before our cruise in the last uh, several days over the weekend. We have done the last podcast, as you know. We got to see Genuine and Cody and Baby Yudi. Oh my gosh, Baby Yudi is adorable. I love her so much. She is a darling little angel, and they got to come and have some dinner with us and spend the evening with us. And we're always, like, we have opposite schedules of our friends with little ones because they have to go to bed at 7, and we're not off till 5. So our time together is really short nowadays, but we enjoy every minute of their visit. Oh, for sure. And the little baby is just so adorable. And it makes it fun. And then Saturday, we got up bright and early. Yep. We did some work around the house. We played the game of the episode to be continued. And we also went to Brian and Jessica's to have a board game day. We did. We got to hang out with Brian and Jessica. And then Mandy came a little bit later. And we just got to hang out, play some games, visit, eat some food, and just have a good time hanging out. And Sunday was spent between eating biscuits and gravy. Delton was editing last Sunday's podcast. And then... I was working intermittently with looking at events for our cruise. And so what we have gathered from the YouTube videos about our cruise is that the average age of the participant of a princess cruise to Alaska is about 65 years old. And not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, there is nothing wrong with that because we have some boss events that we're going to. She says that, but I'm going to have to just skip out on half of them and unsign myself up, basically. So I, I don't know if we said this on the podcast, my sister's a travel agent. And so whenever she gets her, her trainings done, she gets certified next Y and Z, she gets free trips. And so she's like, hey, you guys want to go to Alaska with me? Basically for free, we pay like $300 in port fees. We're like, yes, ma'am, we absolutely do. And so they opened up the events over the weekend, at least the first few days. And let me tell you what we are signed up for. First of all, while the park rangers come on board the ship to tell you about the glaciers, they're served complimentary pea soup oh yeah pea soup and then we are also signed up for four count them four rounds of bingo we have to do the bingo because uh they have prizes in the bingo and one of them is like a 1600 dollars grand prize and you bet your butt i'm gonna try to win some money on a boat for 45 minutes playing bingo speaking of money on a boat there's also a love boat themed night which is the white and gold night basically you dress in white and gold and pretend you're on the love boat I'm packing a carry-on only, so I will not be dressing in white and gold. And that same day, earlier in the day, there is a knitting club followed by a, what is it, a mahjong and bridge bridge club followed by pickleball. Yep. And so these are the types of events that we have to look forward to. We are definitely signed up for, like I said, the bingo as well as line dancing as well as 70s music trivia. So I, I really feel like this is our element. 90% of the events end by 10.30. You are in bed by like 10.30, and that is my kind of vacation. I think it's going to be great. It's some stupid events that I won't attend most of, but there's some fun events and ways to win stuff, and it should just be a good time relaxing, hanging out, doing a fun 45-minute event. Drinking I do, pea soup. Drinking pea soup. I do actually really like that they're only like 45 minutes. Because you can be on the deck, hanging out, go do one event, and then not feel like you've spent two hours and missed out on everything else if you didn't like it or whatever. So we can do back-to-back bingo if we wanted to. We really could. 
but yeah, we've been planning on the uh, planning the trip, I guess, not planning on the trip, planning the trip and figuring out what events we want to do and looking into some of the places around the towns that we're going to be stopping and all that kind of stuff. And really just all in all are excited to uh, take a vacation this year, a, a, a real one where we can, if we want, lay in a pool or lay in a hot tub or eat pea soup and watch the glaciers, do whatever we want to do. So stay tuned next episode, not only for our game of the episode, but a full recap of me buying bear mace and hiking up Mount Juno with my sweetie and my sister. It's going to be an adventure, grand old time. But before we get into that, we should probably actually talk about a game this episode. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So the game for this episode is going to be Bamboo which is published just like the last game we did on the podcast, Jerusalem, is published by Devere Games out of Spain. Uh, Bamboo is designed by German Milan. The artist is Honaton Cantero. The developer is David Esprit, and the graphic design is by Meeple Foundry. Bamboo is a new release, actually came out this year in 2023, and Devere Games have another big game that came out a couple years back uh, BGG Con had it in the hot games room, and it was called Bitoku. Uh, Bitoku is this beautiful box, which I think it has a dragon, like a pink dragon on the cover. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the box closely enough in a while. But Bamboo, along with another game of theirs called Silk, are part of the Bitoku universe. So it's part of their little world, story building, world building kind of thing where they have, you know, all these games take place in the same area. But yeah, so Bamboo is their newest release here in 2023, as far as I know. And just like Jerusalem, this is Brian's game that we got to play. Uh, First, we got introduced to it with Brian and Jessica playing a four-player game. And then he let us borrow it for the podcast. And me and Haley played a two-player game, which he highly recommended. So glad we got to try that out. Uh, Bamboo is all about finding balance within your home as you decorate and move in, essentially. During the game, you are doing a a few different things, but I'm going to try to break it down pretty simply. You are going to pick a color of temple. There are four different colors. When you pick the color of temple, you place incense equal to a specific number of bamboo on your board. So you're going to have a slot on your board, your player board. Uh, There are going to be four different areas, which are the four different colors. Each of those can hold four different pieces of bamboo. And each piece of bamboo has a different action depicted on it. So there's a lot of stuff right there. But basically, you've got four colors. Each color can hold some bamboo. The first thing you do is pick a color. However many bamboo pieces is on that color on your playing board, you're going to take that many incense sticks of your color and put them on the matching colored temple. So if you go to the green space and you have two green bamboo, you will take two of your incense and place them in the green temple Then you place your two bamboo over in the bamboo fields on the main board, and you will then proceed to take those two actions in whichever order you want, and you will then receive two new pieces of bamboo because one of the coolest things in the game, before I even get any further than this, or at least I think is the coolest, is whenever you use these bamboo stalks to do actions, there's a little section on the board, the bamboo field, that has... I just now realized this game has a lot of fours. Have you realized that? There are four colors. Each color on your board can hold four bamboo. There are four rows of bamboo in the bamboo fields. You're absolutely right. There's a lot of four, which is strange because the number four, at least in Chinese and in Japanese, the word for four is very close to the same word for death. And so it's seen as not a lucky number. Yeah, which is interesting. And I don't know know how much there's four of in the game, but none of the tokens are worth four points. 
There's never a number four depicted on anything. That's interesting. I'm very confused now. I want to look at the board in like super close detail. But anyway, uh, the bamboo fields, they have four rows of bamboo and you put your pieces from your board. You put those bamboo at the bottom and there are three, always three pieces of bamboo in each of the four rows. Your bottom one becomes the fourth piece. It pushes the other bamboo up and you take the top one. And so it's like the bamboo is growing and you are cutting the tops down, basically. Just kind of a really neat aspect of the game. I don't know. I found a lot of fun in that. But to, to try to get this back on track into a clean description, you pick a color, you place incense in the same color temple, you place however many bamboo of that color that you have uh, in the fields, you take those actions, and then the turn's going to pass to the next player. The different actions are pretty simple. You can buy a goal tile, essentially, where or take a goal tile or score one where you say, this is my goal. I'm going to try to get this stuff in my house. I want four samurai swords in my house kind of thing. Uh, you can get a gold tile. You can get the actual decorations themselves, whether it be a samurai sword or a garden or a Tory gate or whatever you get. Uh, you can get food for your people and you can get money and that's it. So it's, it sounds complicated based on my numbers and how I'm describing things, but it's really simple of pick a color, place your incense, move your bamboo, take the actions on the pieces of bamboo, and then you do the action and boom, you're good to go. You kind of called it a Lisboa light. I did call it sort of a, a Vital Lacerda light because Vital Lacerda games are always like giving you a minimum amount of choice. So in terms of Lisboa, it's I'm going to play a card. I'm going to play it here or here. And that's your decision space with each card. In bamboo, you pick a color. Do I pick green, blue, purple, or red? And then whatever color you pick, you take the your incense and put it on the matching temple, which there's a you know uh, there's a majority kind of thing for who has the most incense at each color temple at the end of a uh, end of a season, end of a year, whatever it is. Um, and then you take your bamboo from that one and you take the actions on those. And so it like slowly spiders out. First you pick a color, which puts your incense down, and then you place your bamboo. Then you get to do your different bamboo actions from there, but then it doesn't go further where, where Vital Asserta games are like, you pick one of these three things, and then now you pick one of these three things. Now you pick one of these four things, then pick one of these two things, and then pick one of these three things where it keeps just, you know, snaking out from there and splitting. Uh, bamboo is like a simpler version of that, where you pick a color, that's your most basic thing, and then you're going to go from there. But it's really interesting because... Uh, like I said, when you put your incense out, they have the little four color temples and whoever has majority of incense there, or if tied, whoever put incense there more recently, you're going to get a little token. That's like a, it's a little spirit of the forest. I think they're called. And the spirits of the forest are just unique actions that you can do uh, anytime on your turn to just help you get more points or more food or do some other little nifty things. But they're also adorable because they've got a Kappa which I absolutely love Kappas. I think they're adorable when depicted. And they've got uh, Bakuneko is the cat one where he's like a sushi chef or something. I can't remember what the, what the cat one was, but he was where you could move your incense around. And they had a Tanuki that was like the wanderer. And each they were all these neat little things and their actions kind of made sense for what you know about those creatures or those spirits. But the game really just goes from there where you're getting gold tiles you are buying different decorations for your house and putting them in your house and trying to fulfill these gold tiles. But the big key here is with those gold tiles and with the things in your house, you're trying to find balance in that decoration. You're trying to find the flow within your home and your house is split into a little grid. Essentially, you have six on the left, six on the right, and there's three in the middle. You have to balance the left and the right in terms of the value of these decorations. 
at the end of the game, for every point of difference between the two sides, you're going to lose two points, which is how Haley beat me by just one point in our two-player game. I am undefeated, baby. I won the four-player and the two-player. AMA. I think she cheats. That's all I got. She cheats. No, I just really value strategy. Foreshadowing. Yes, you do value strategy. Uh, But it's a really neat game. I mean, Bamboo has multiple things, I think, going for it. One, I think it's retail cost is 40 bucks and for the amount of game that's there i think that 40 bucks is very much worth it for the amount of game and the quality of components you can also flip your player boards to a more difficult side that have strict requirements that if you don't fulfill at the end you can lose points kind of patchwork style i guess in a way um not only that the box size is small like surprisingly small for how much game there is it's packed in there pretty good It also works really well at two players, and it works really well at four players, which means I'm guessing it works really well at three because all of them are pretty much the same style of game. It's not too difficult to learn. It's pretty easy to play. It's a little weird to teach just because it is. You pick one of these, and then this, and then this, and now you get to do these things, and then you decide this. So there is that kind of, you know, uh, uh, tree branching out from there and spidering out, but It's just a really, I've had a lot of fun with it in our two plays, and I think it's one that I would like to pick up now, because I think it's one that we would play, and like I said, it's it's a nice level of difficulty without being too difficult that we have a lot of people, I feel like, that uh, we introduce to games, or introduce to the next level of game, and this is a really great one that's not a super complex game, but it's not an introductory. It's a really good middle ground to show you that things like games do get very different. Yes, like Delton said, it's very much a great little introductory game to more challenging pieces. And also the artwork is very inviting. It's adorable artwork. It's very colorful. It's fun. It's interesting. I just think that it's, uh, I I don't know. I just really like the game. I think that Bamboo is definitely a hit. Uh, Now I have not played Botoku, the big game that's part of the same world. And I don't know anything about Really, it or Silk, the other one in this universe. But uh, Bamboo is one, if you have not looked at it, which uh, on BGG, I was surprised with how few just rules checks, reviews, anything like that there are. Uh, I definitely think it's a game worth checking out. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So... The topic for today came to us from Haley. It came to me on a walk, just like the great authors before me, C.S. Lewis, who got all of his brilliant ideas while taking walks around the university. I was taking a walk with my dog, waiting for her to take a poop, and my great idea was bestowed upon me by the universe. And it was? Gaming values. Why don't you explain what you mean by values, Haley? So when we talk about values, you know, Values are different than morals in this context. What we're looking at is really the values that underlie our decision makings, underlie our likes, underlie our wants and our needs. So if we look at values like in our day-to-day life, values are the central tenets by which we live our life. And there are many ways that we can live by our values and we all have different definitions of values. So, you know, specifically for gaming, what we want to do is we want to look at our gaming choices, our gaming likes, what we seek out in games, and we want to look at those behaviors and try to figure out, you know, what are the values that underlie those? You know, what do we value about gaming 
and what do what values do we hold when we game that draw us to particular games. So that's kind of the topic, the food for thought that I had today. And I think that's a good one because we all have different things that we value within our gaming space, uh, within our games, within our plays, within our interactions, our environments, our social, this and that. Everything we do within board games, we have some sort of value that we prioritize over other things. And sometimes we also may have a value that we don't always stick with, kind of like you said. I think it wasn't even until we had this conversation that you and I really deduce what our top three values in gaming were. And they are different. I think so. Yeah, they're very different, actually. Do you want to start with yours? Or you want me to start with mine? So I'm going to start with one of mine. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you my value. I'm going to define what my value looks like in gaming. And I'm going to talk to you about what that often looks like. And so my top value when it comes to gaming is strategy. I value a game that allows me to create a strategy that makes me problem solve, that makes me try to uh, plan ahead. I really value games that allow me to exercise that part of my brain, which is why I like to pick out Euro games, which is why I like to pick out games that take more than 30 minutes, like Twilight Struggle, or I've really enjoyed you know, the, the war games we played lately. So for me, strategy is definitely my top value, ones that I really feel like I'm stretching my brain muscles, if you will. Uh, those are the games that I tend to seek out because I really get a lot of fulfillment. Because when we think about values, like values are what make you feel fulfilled as well. And so it's important not only to know, you know, what your values are, but how they serve you too. And so Delton, what's one of your values? I don't know. I'm going to say my second one on my little list I typed is actually my first one in terms of what I prioritize here. But so I put my highest priority one as order. And order in a game means essentially structure is the way I'm going to look at it. It is a game where all the rules are defined, the situations, the unique moments, every little detail has a defined and written method of function that can't be changed. And so what this often looks like with Delton is saying no to house rules. Correct. Saying no to house rules and saying uh, no to things like open negotiation. Yeah, and so for, for Delty Poo, like even, I think he said it earlier on his walk, even if he thinks that the house rule would be better for the game, because he values order so much and that underlies his, his game playing, that he tends to reject house rules and we don't even play with them, even if we feel like it would benefit the game. Correct. What about your second value? My second value is definitely communion. And so a big reason why I like to play games is that connection with others. And so I would, like the other night, whenever we went to Brian and Jessica's house, I shared my hand of viticulture with Mandy so that way I could teach her how to play the game. You know, I wasn't worried about winning. I got second place still, still beat Delton. So that felt pretty good. But what was more important for me in in that gameplay was to make sure that Mandy knew what was going on and Mandy was having a good time. I I would much rather make sure that everybody at the table is having a good time than win. Winning is great. I like to use my strategy, but I, I go to the, the board game table really to connect with others and to play and to have the experience of gaming rather than just the game itself. And that makes sense. That is why a lot of times we get together to play games. My second one I have is problem solving. And problem solving is exactly what you think it is. There's a problem in front of you and you have to try to solve it. It doesn't mean you're good at it, but it means you enjoy and want to try to f- figure that problem out and have a problem in front of you to work. So what's been a game lately that you've really enjoyed problem solving through? Uh, uh, 
I got out. Uh, I finally got to play Black Angel for the first time last night before recording this. And uh, Black Angel is from Pearl Games, designed by the same three people who designed Twa, which I like a lot, even though I couldn't tell you how it plays at this point. It's been so long. And uh, trying to figure out Black Angel and whatnot, like all day today in random moments, I've been thinking like, man, I want to play this with Haley. And then I'm like, well, how can I be efficient? Like, what's the right play here? When do I do this? When can I push this over here? And so it's it's a problem I'm trying to solve. I'm never good at problem solving, but that is, uh, that is a game that I want to solve. What about your third value, Haley? My third value is learning. Uh, I like to not only learn new games, but I also like to learn while I'm playing games, which is why I enjoy things like Colonial Twilight, like Twilight Struggle, because not only do you get to develop a greater understanding of these conflicts, but oftentimes the cards have little factoids, and I love to read those on my turn. And so I will seek out war games all the time. I'll seek out those, uh, was it CMG games that does it? GMT. GMT, I'm sorry. I'll seek out the GMT games all day long just so I can read the cards because I love them. I value learning in games. Did you say CMG or CNG? I don't know what I said. <laughs> if you said CNG, it's compressed natural gas. If it's CMG, it's our mortgage company. <laughs> CMT, country music television. Oh, I was like, wait, DMT, the drug? <laughs> We're all over the place. Mechanical aliens. Oh, God. So, Delty, what's your last value before we talk more about this? My last value is what we determined uh, based on definitions and things is asocial. This is not antisocial. He's not like instigating stuff. It is asocial. It's essentially social avoidance. And that doesn't mean I'm not socializing at the table with my friends talking about things. It means that games which require social play to them, I guess is a way to put it. If to play the game well, I must be social and converse and the things that I say and the things that I do in a social situation, if that dictates what happens in the game, I'm likely to avoid that game. Your asocial game. Yes. I want to sit there and I want to follow the rules and I want to <laughs> play and I want everyone to leave me alone. There's an old term called multiplayer solitaire. And it might just be my favorite. I think I think it is that is definitely a value of yours. If you could if you could make a genre of a game of value, multiplayer solitaire, that is a Delton. But here's the thing, and I guess this is where we can start into the next section some. Uh I have so many games though that aren't super social. They're not like uh, you know, any kind of negotiation and trading, but they have more social elements than multiplayer solitaire, and that's actually what makes the game so fun. Yes, and so with our values, you know, we can enjoy games that don't align with our values. Really what our values are, are give us a basic understanding of what us or our partner seeks out in games. And so there might be times whenever you find a really good game that does not align with your values. And so, Delton, what's an example for you? Of a game that doesn't align with my values? Yeah, with the three values that you said. A game that easily does not align with my, at least my asocial aspect and my order aspect, actually. So that's two of them. What was my third one? Problem solving. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? It doesn't line with any of the three. And I'm going to say it. I'm so sorry, Ben. Pit. <laughs> Pit is like the epitome of what I hate. Not hate. Of what I really try to avoid because I just, it, I can't. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't do it in a successful way and understand. I don't know. My brain doesn't work that way. And it also just is uh, scary. Yes. 
So there you go. If you haven't played Pit, Pit is a, here's a hand of cards. They're all shuffled up. You've got to have a hand of all of one thing or something like that. And you've got to say, I've got a corn. Who's got a wheat? Somebody got a wheat? I got a corn. I can trade a, uh, how about, how about, I got a hay bale. You want a hay bale for your pig? And you do that and you trade and then somebody hits the bell or hits the card and says pit and then they win. And it's a hectic disaster. But you know what's funny? What's that? There actually is a opposite of a game that is almost as social, but I actually really enjoy, which is Happy Salmon. (laughs) Oh, yes. Happy Salmon. Well, Happy Salmon has more order. Happy Salmon has a shit ton more order. That's what it is. You're not screaming and yelling at each other. I mean, you are, but you're just saying, Happy Salmon, Happy Salmon, high five, high five. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're clapping. Absolutely. But then again, was order is one of your, your top ones. And so that one tends to, to win out. Because if we were to play any game, even your favorite game, we would say, okay, Del, we're going to play your favorite game. We're going to play Dominant Species, but we're going to add one house rule. What does that do for you? I would hate it. What's the point? Right. <laughs> They made this game the way they made it. Don't you dare disrespect Chad Jensen. I don't know why I said Chaz. Chad Jensen. Exactly. And like for me, I feel like a game that really goes against my values is Magic. Magic the Gathering? Magic the Gathering. Ooh, which value is that against? Most of them? Most of them because, I mean, learning, I'm not really learning anything because I feel like you have to have a master's degree in Magic in order to play it. And I'll play it. I'm not going to win. I don't really have the motivation to learn. It doesn't... It doesn't like entice me like Colonial Twilight or something with like actual factoids on it. There's not a lot of communion in it. Yeah, you're playing with one other person. Maybe if you're playing, you know, with the draft, you have some communion elements, but you're not really getting together to play. I feel like you're just, it just feels very 1v1 opponent versus opponent rather than getting together as a communion to play, at least for me. Yeah. Um, And then strategy, I don't know strategy and magic. I don't get it. Strategy in a game like Magic is such a different approach to strategy than a game like uh, Colonial Twilight, as your example. And so when we talk about values, again, it doesn't mean that you can't play games that align with your values, but it does inform your choices. And so for Delt and I, you know, there are many ways that our values can complement each other, even though they're different. But there's also many ways that our values can conflict with each other. And I think about, you know, the communion versus uh, order. Like for me, I have a tendency, like if I see someone has messed up a rule or somebody is not ha- straight up not having a good time, bro, and we're going to house rule something, like I'm like, okay, I value communion more. We're going to do it. But for Delton, that would be like. That would be like playing Viticulture this weekend where, where Mandy, uh, uh, she was trying to harvest one of her fields for the second time in that turn. And I said, you can't do that. <laughs> it was just like, sorry, you, you can't harvest. And she was like, oh, well. And I was like, sorry, I don't know if he explicitly stated this in the teach. Or there could also be times like Delton likes the asocial games. Well, I value communion, so I like, I want all the interaction we can. And so, but that doesn't mean we don't have fun together. But I think that, you know, knowing your values under games can help you to determine, you know, what kind of games you're more drawn to, but also knowing your partners or your friends' values under games too can help you to, you know, identify games that they might like to try. Because that's how Delton picks out all the war games for me. Yeah, that's how I know what to get Haley is. I not only know Haley's designers that she likes, and they have a good track record in in terms of, you know, Uwe Rosenberg and stuff. But I know that you prefer games that focus on strategy, especially long-term strategy. You like games that are historical in setting, preferably certain historical settings, which is why some of the history games I buy are a little sometimes focused more towards me, but most of the historical games we buy, I feel like lean your direction for the most part. And it's really helped me make those decisions of saying, I know Haley will like this game because of this, because of that. I mean, a game that 
in no way whatsoever should work for me as well is Quacks. Mm-hmm. Quacks does have order, but it's also extremely random. But I guess, too, you don't really interact with your other people. Hmm. And it is kind of a puzzle, but also it's a it's a puzzle you're trying to solve by throwing rocks at a wall and hope they stick. Like, <laughs> that's how it feels in Quacks. But that's a game I knew immediately after we played it. I was like, well, obviously you like it. But that's one that I could look at and say, I know Haley's going to like this. That's why I got Cubitos. I knew you would like Cubitos, right? Right. And that's and because I know Delton's values and now I have a greater understanding of them, I know to never suggest a house rule. It's, it's interesting to find these values. And sometimes you can ascertain a, somebody's value based on their just gameplay stuff. Like I was talking to Haley about how, you know, order is something that I'm... Uh, I very much value, and I was talking about, you know, all the years I've played Magic with Brian in different games, that Brian really values control within his games, which is why he's not a fan of very random things. Obviously, there's games that have random chance. He likes quacks, but if uh, there's a lot of, you know, dice rolling for outcomes and things like that, he's never been a fan of that, and when I start to think of that as a value of his, like, that's really high up on his list, is he wants to be able to be in control. And so for you, you probably would never recommend something like Arkham Horror because no. there's a lot of variability. You would, so you wouldn't recommend that to Brian because you know that he really values that control. Absolutely. Arkham Horror LCG is what you're referencing. Yes. Just for those out there. Because there are a thousand Arkham Horror games. <laughs> what? Yeah. With that IP? Exactly. So I think the big takeaway here of your gaming values is just like try to think about that. Like, you know, I, I'm going to sound like an educational video, but when you get done with this episode... See if you can think of your three uh, biggest values in order, because when you start thinking about what you like in games and what you value, like I said, I, I value problem solving. How many times am I good at a board game? Zero. That's how many. And I still like them. I still play Calico, even though I'm shit at it. I still play Patchwork, even though I've never filled the board and I barely have beat you ever at that game. But I still play it for the challenge of the problem solving. I enjoy having a puzzle in front of me, even if I'm not good at them always. And some of them just do not click with my brain. And I don't know what you're talking about, about not being good at strategy games, because you completely kicked my butt in Colonial Twilight when we played that a couple of weeks ago. I said puzzle solving. Ah, uh, puzzle solving. Okay. Pro- problem, problem solving. Problem solving. But I like that game, even though I was I did terribly at it. I lost horribly because I really value the learning aspect of it and the strategy. Yeah, exactly. So that's so when you leave the episode here after this topic or whatever, just start thinking about what you value in games and look at your shelves, look at your collection, look at games you're wanting to purchase and think about how they fit into your values. You can still enjoy a game that doesn't fit your values at all. You really can. I mean, like I said, uh, I don't remember what my example was, but I like games that go against my values all the time. But if I had to call my collection right now and I had to think about my values, it would be pretty easy for me to pick half of my games to say bye to as much as I might enjoy the game because I know that when it comes to my values, I might like the game, but if they're not at least hitting one of those values pretty strongly, it's not going to stick around for long or not going to be the most enjoyable game. And I'm going to regret having kept it over something else that I knew would hit that value. That's why he regrets buying Sushi Go because it completely goes against his values and aligns with mine. Uh, yeah, basically that's fine. Everything's fine. But yes, so I say we go to the question so we can wrap this up, uh, yeah, and get around for bed. But Delton, you forgot about the last beer. We do have another beer. This one better not foam anywhere. This is one on recommendation, or on recommendation, is that correct? That was recommended by? 
Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know what's happening. Being it, consumed on recommendation of. This was recommended by Cody. It is from Sea Dog Brewing Co. This is Blue Paw. It is an ale with natural blueberry flavor added. It is a 4.7% alcohol by volume. It says, enjoy our award-winning wheat ale featuring the delightful and subtle fruit flavor of wild blueberries. It is 4.7% alcohol with an 8 IBU. Best served cold near the ocean with a dog in flip-flops with good friends anytime. A dog in flip-flops or a dog and you're in flip-flops? I have a dog. With a, the way, if you read it the right way. Cold near the ocean with a dog in flip-flops with good friends anytime. We need to put some flip-flops on the Margaret. I don't think she would like that. She's floppy enough. Well, kind of, in a sausage way. I was very disappointed. So I had this beer earlier this evening when our friend Lee was over. And I was really expecting a blue beer. This is not a blue beer. I was very disappointed by that. It definitely smells like blueberries, but it's not like the last episode. The last episode we had the blueberry sour. That one smelled like real blueberries. This one smells like essence of blueberry or like a blueberry flavor. Like I mean, they said it's artificial blueberry flavor. And it's, I mean, it looks like a slightly amber tone to it. It's a lot more, it's not crystal clear, but it's pretty dang clear. Smells like a blueberry it candy. Does, it does smell, it smells like a blueberry candy, but there is a hint of like natural blueberry flavor. Like it's maybe imitation, but it's not candy, candy blueberry. I don't know. It smells like a warhead to me, like a blue war- warhead. That's kind of true. I mean, it, it tastes, you can tell it's a wheat beer, has a little bit of that kind of tanginess that you get with wheat beer. And then you get that blueberry flavor. I think what it's missing is the tart that would come from natural blueberries. I think you're right. It just tastes like the very sweet blueberry. It's very sweet and there's that hint of blueberry like you said, but you're not getting any you're not getting any blueberry, any of the tartness, any of that. It's not well flavor. rounded. No, exactly. It's not a bad beer by any means. No, it's very refreshing. It has a little bit of sweet. Mm-hmm. Like this is definitely a, a good summer beer, even though it's Halloween. It's a good beer. I think it's just the fact of after having a very good blueberry sour that's super strong blueberry, this is just a little bit of a letdown, but it's like I said, it's still a solid beer. And it has a dog on it. And it has a dog on it. You can't be mad at that. On to the question. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. So, for the question of this episode, we've got a nice and interesting and easy one. Thanks to Haley coming up with everything for this episode. Good job, Haley. Hell yeah, brother. The question of the episode is, what candy of our childhood would you want to try a beer that was flavored as... Yeah, that was a weird sentence. If a beer could be flavored as a candy from your childhood, what would it be? So, I had to go into my deep brain for this. And so, what was the tape bubble? It was bubble tape? Mm-hmm. They had a blue raspberry yep. bubble tape. I remember. I would like a blue raspberry bubble tape flavored beer. I know why you liked bubble tape. What was that? It had a goots on it. It did have a goots on it. Hubba Bubba. Oh, well, it's Hubba Bubba, not bubble tape. Well, Bubble Tape, wasn't it owned by Hubba Bubba? I think you're misunderstood. Because it had the goots. The one, the Hubba Bubba had the goots on it that had the spiky hair in the collar. Spiky hair in the collar? Hold on. Hold on. We're, we're freaking checking this out. This is live. We're doing it live, Cotton. Uh, okay, Bubble Yum had the goose. See, Bubble Yum. It had the nose ring. Yeah. And the spiky collar. Why did I think that that was... Uh... Okay, there's Hubba Bubba Bubble Tape. So it was Bubble Yum. So not even Hubba Bubba. I'm going to say that enough times. It's going to just freak me out. Oh, man. Look at that. You can get blue raspberry hubba bubba. Oh, it is hubba bubba. What? Bubble tape is hubba bubba. Yeah. 
Well, son of a bug. You know what it's not? What? It's not the one with the goose. It's not the one with the goose. It's not bubble yum. The Hubba Bubba Bubble Tape Sour Blue Raspberry is being sold on Amazon right now, four pack for $12. That's kind of high, but that's fine. I'll take it. We'll get some sometime. I think that beer would be probably pretty gross, but I would definitely try it. Do you want to hear my potentially grosser choice? Absolutely, I do. I don't know if this is as much as a, of as much of a candy as it is just a snack because I still eat it today. Uh, I would kind of not be opposed to a beer that was flavored like a Chico stick. Oh yeah, I would drink that. Yeah, and a little bit of coke, a little bit of coconut, a little bit of kind of that kind of that peanut buttery. Yeah, sounds yeah. much more sophisticated than my bubble tape. You beer. know what? You know what else sounds good as a beer? What's that? Rolos. Oh, that caramel chocolate yeah. that was always real bad for you and stuck to your teeth. Oh yeah, pulled out all of your fillings. Mm-hmm. I loved Rolos. Worth it. Yeah, I miss those. But uh, yeah, there you go. There's our beer ideas. I think my Chico stick one is better than Haley's. I second blue that. raspberry. <laughs> but I, I would still do. try it as a sour. Same here. We did it. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Mouthhouse Games podcast. I want to give a big shout out to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff for backing us on Patreon and supporting us at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. If you want to be like them or any of our other amazing patrons, you can head over to patreon.com slash Games. If you want to find us on any social media, you can always go to at Malthouse Games. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. And if you have a game you think we need to look at, a topic you want us to cover, a question that we should answer on the show, or if there's a beer that you think we should find to drink and review, then send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. So between now being recorded, I'll get this edited. This will come out in a little under two weeks from today. It will come out the, really, the day, we, re- the day we return from our cruise. We fly in that morning nice and early after an overnight flight from Vancouver. And uh, we'll be back. So there's that. Two weeks after this episode, we will come out with another one. That one will tell you more about what happened on the cruise. It'll tell you about some other fun stuff, and hopefully we have a fun game for you on that episode because we have not thought about it because we have a lot of stuff to think about right now. To be continued. So, yes, the only other thing I could say is if you have... uh, Wait, when's this come out after the cruise? Never mind. I was going to ask for recommendations of things in Vancouver, but this is going to come out later. Damn. I don't know how time works. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.